will be in the triumphal entry, Mark 11, the first 11 verses. Now, as we come to this text, I know a lot of us read this. We read this at least once a year because of Palm Sunday, and we address it. I don't know how often we preach straight through it, but um, we at least know of this story. And for me, at first glance, I was reading, and it goes, go get me a donkey. They bring the donkey. They wave palm branches. They go home. And so I was like, there's not a lot here, but we'll see. There's quite a lot here, to be honest. And I tried not to do, to go too, too deep for us, but we're in church. We got to do something a little bit, you know, serious. Um, but something that we need to take note of is we'll be in Mark, but we'll probably bounce from Matthew to Luke to John. And I won't try to be a flipper too much, but it's in all four gospels. And each gospel says something a little bit different. It gives us a little nugget here, a little nugget there. And so um, Mark says some great things. And then Matthew says some things that may contradict, but it's not a contradiction. It's um, really, Mark found one of the, these areas to be a little bit more important. And Matthew said, well, I, I think this is important to note. So we'll go through a little bit of that. But as we go into this, I want to highlight a little bit of what just happened. And depending on which verse and which chapter we're in, it's a little bit different. But for Matthew and Mark, Jesus has just encountered a blind beggar and he asks to see. And he calls him Jesus, son of David. And he responds to him and he says, what do you need and, or what do you want or what do you, you know, do you want to be healed? Um, or he doesn't ask, do you want to be healed? But he just says, what do you need? And he says, I want to see. And he heals him. But I want to take note of, he says, Jesus, son of David, um, because they call him that a lot in this passage. And Jesus never says, now we keep this quiet. You don't let everyone know. He just lets it be. And I feel like the disciples may get a little bit curious as to, oh, you're letting him go. And it even says in the chapter, uh, in the verse, my bad, that immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. So potentially um, the, the, the Mark account says Bartimaeus. Matthew says there's two beggars, but they begin to follow him on the road. So he's potentially in this group of people. Um, but one thing I wanted to note was that he didn't say, don't tell anybody. He just let it be. And we get into this account uh, and we see that Jesus is, this is going to be now his um, way of saying, I am coming in as Messiah. I am who I say that I am and I'm not holding back. And so that's just one thing I wanted to note. Another thing I wanted to note was in the John passage leading into it, we talk about Lazarus and we've talked about that in previous sermons before, but what happened with that is he grew a great following and a lot of people started asking a lot of questions because of this. And we'll see that some of the crowd even came from that and had been following him since then. Some wanted to see him because of what Lazarus had done. And some even wanted to see Lazarus to maybe see if it was true. Um, but we see that this is building momentum into Jerusalem. So let's just go ahead and read through the first 11 verses and then we'll just talk about it. 
It says, when they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on, tied there on which no one has sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here right away. So they went and found a colt outside of the street, tied by a door. They untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They answered them, Jesus, they entered just as Jesus had said, so they let them go. They brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. He went into Jerusalem and into the temple. After looking around and at everything, since it had, was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we open up your word and as we read through you coming in as king and as Messiah, we pray that uh, we would see you as that and nothing less, and that we would learn something new about who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we see, they're approaching Jerusalem. They're in Bethpage or Bethany in between there. And Jesus tells two disciples, we don't know who they are. It's unnamed. We could speculate who, but I won't. And then uh, he tells them, go in, get this donkey and um, bring it back to me. And it's kind of curious. I did, you know, my brain thinks what all these questions. And so one of the questions is, why a donkey? Well, we know pretty well, probably, that why a donkey? Because one, probably the most important part is it was prophesied in Zechariah 9.9. And I'll just read that real quick. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, which the daughter of Zion was the Old Testament for Jerusalem. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus chose a donkey to fulfill what that passage said. Now, this passage here doesn't say explicitly that it was from this passage, but in Matthew, Matthew 21.5 says, these are the words of Zechariah 9.9 right here. And so we can take away from that that he was fulfilling this. So that's, the, I think, the main reason it's a donkey, but there's a couple other things that I learned. And that was also because many probably, well, many did expect Jesus to be this military leader who was going to save them from the Roman oppression and going to liberate them. And they were finally going to be free to this degree. So many are probably expecting him to ride in on a horse with army, you know, claiming like being very loud, leading with his fists. But when he comes in on a donkey, that's actually signaling he's coming in peace. He's coming in humble. He's coming in to show, I, I'm not about all that war that you're speaking about. I'm coming in as peace. And historically, riding in on a donkey was a symbol of peace. And Jesus was coming in as a peaceable king. Um, there are two examples that I'll bring up from the Old Testament that I found very curious in terms of, uh, of what a, a use of a donkey. One was in 1 Kings, and it was when Solomon was crowning um, 
or when David was going to hand Solomon the, the kingdom, he was saying, I'm going to crown you as king. And he tells him to take his mule. And he rides his mule into Jerusalem, just as we see Jesus riding his, this donkey into Jerusalem. And so it was, it was used for that then. Another one was Genesis 22, 3. Um, and it was used, a donkey was actually used in transporting Isaac to get sacrificed. And it's very interesting just how many, when you look at how often donkeys were used, it, it's not this animal that's just like cute and useless. They used it as a good thing. It was a, 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 a proper animal. It wasn't, it wasn't worthless. It was something they used pretty often. So him coming in on a donkey wasn't signifying that, hey, I'm not doing anything significant. I'm riding on a nothing. It's, it still symbolized uh, very high uh, priests. It, it symbolized my throat is getting a little bit dry right here. I drink this whole thing today. Who knows? But it, it symbolized more than that. And it also, Jesus notes that the donkey itself had not been ridden, which is just another thing that's just like, why? You know, why did it have to, why did it not have to be ridden and all of this? But we see there actually are many verses that support and allude to other areas that I won't get into of the Old Testament that the animals that are being used to this degree, this sacred degree, had not been yoked, had not been worked, and it's very specified in that degree. And, and so the significance of the donkey is that this colt, this donkey, there's another word, but I won't say it. I read it a lot this week, though. It was... It, it threw, me, threw me for a loop. But this cult is sacred for this moment. Jesus wanted this moment for this cult to be its duty, its first duty. No one rides it until I get on it and I, I'm coming in as king. And I see a little bit here as um, it's signaling the, signaling the idea of sacrifice and not, not being used. It's been untouched. It's been cared for, but no one has used it. And that's another just thought I had as, as entering in Jerusalem. And a lot of this, we know um, as he's coming in, this whole series is building and we're in that final week. And him going into Jerusalem on this donkey is signaling it's going down. Like I have a week left and I'm going to die. And so there's a lot of weight here, but... Um, he tells his disciples to go, and basically he says, go steal this donkey. If they ask you who this is or why you need it, you just say the Lord needs it and, and run away. And I was thinking if somebody came to my house and they're like, hey, the Lord said we need your car. We're going to take your car. I don't know if I'm going to say, okay, sounds great. You know, like that doesn't sound like a, a great idea to me. And so... It leads me to think about other things um, that we will talk about with this. We don't know who the owner is. We don't know exactly if they knew one another, but we could speculate because this isn't Jesus's first time in Jerusalem that potentially he talked to somebody. He, met, he had a friend who had, you know, donkeys and he said, hey, the next time I come into Jerusalem, please have a donkey ready for me. I'm going to come by and I'm going to say the Lord needs it. And that's going to be like the password. If they don't say the Lord needs it, they don't give it to them, you know? So it's, it, that's how I kind of see it. He could potentially know this person. 
Maybe. But um, at the same time, another thing that I find interesting is that when we look at the language, it doesn't say it just off the top, but that the cult itself was a young cult. It hadn't been... It hadn't been written, it hadn't been worked, it was young. So another thing that throws me for a loop, and it, we just, I marvel at it because it's the uh, omniscience of God. He knows um, when everything is going to take place. But the thing is, when he tells the disciples to go, it had to be right at that age. It wasn't like, oh, I just gave that one away and this one's the mother. No, it was the of age, it was right. And then all of what I just said was for all those who think like me, who feel like they have to make everything make sense. But at the end of the day, we're talking about Jesus, who knows everything. He is God. He knows what the owner's going to say. He knows um, what to say. And it doesn't matter at the end of the day if you knew him or not. All he said was, go get the donkey. The Lord needs it. He'll bring it back. And, and that's it, period. And so... Part of me wants this, still likes the idea that he knew him. Um, another thing I, I just thought of when he says that the Lord needs it, we'll get into here that word, the Lord, you know, because I, I, I was joking about it being the, the password and the key word. The Lord, it could refer to a lot of things. It could refer to being a master. It could refer to like just being an owner. People call each other that, you know, but this was very clearly, whoever gave him the, the, the cult knew that this was Jesus. It wasn't just, oh, it's a random owner who, he knew that this was Jesus. So it, it, it's very curious to me that, that Jesus is also being very forward about it. Like, I am the Lord, the Lord needs it. And somehow this person who's going to give him the cult knows it too. Um, not many people just know that he's the Lord. People know he's a prophet, he's a good teacher, he's healing people, but they don't know that he's the Lord. It's not very common yet. And so those are just some things I thought of as we were going through this text. Um, But kind of going a little bit into the Lord here, when he says that, the Lord literally means in the Greek here, Lord. And and I know that's not helpful because when I'm thinking, I'm like, But as I studied, it was becoming very clear that Jesus was saying, I am the Lord. Jesus says, I am the Lord. And not very many times in Mark does he say that. There's actually two times prior to this that he says, he calls himself, I am the Lord. And that was when he said that I was Lord of the Sabbath in the second second chapter. And in uh, chapter five of Mark, he drives out a demon and he says, uh, report to them how much the Lord has done for you. And we see that he's very blunt about who he is, and he's not hiding it. He says the Lord needs it. To this also, we see after this, after this text, we go into the cleansing of the temple. And this is when I think it really starts to ramp up because he goes into it, into the temple, which is the Lord's, and he goes, my house. What have you done to my house? You've caused it to be a den of thieves. And so he's very much um, telling people who he is. And I just find that very interesting that he's not holding back at all. And so when he tells, tells them the Lord needs it, you know, he's, he's not, he's signaling to the disciples that it's time. So he brings the donkey, they bring the donkey back. 
And I think the disciples are getting a little ramped up. They're getting excited. They're, they're like, oh, it's time we're going in. And he's coming in. Um, and to this idea of the Lord, there is this authority around it. He has authority to demand what he wants to this degree. He didn't have to go into Jerusalem this way. He didn't have to go in Jerusalem at all. But we know he's fulfilling prophecy and he has the authority to go in and do what he needed to do. And so it's very interesting to me that, um, that, this, that this played out the way that it did because, as we'll see in a minute, that there are people coming after him that don't, they want him dead. And he just comes in blazing with the donkey and it gets real loud and he's unashamed. But we'll get into that in a minute. Um, so they, they bring, it, they bring the, don- the donkey, they put their clothes on it. I think all that means is they give him a little cushion. You know, it probably doesn't feel too good to walk. Probably only a mile or two to, to ride. But they give him the, the, their clothes on the donkey and they enter in. And then we see the, that Mark just says, Many people spread cl- their clothes on the road and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. But as we see, my thoughts are, who is this crowd? Where did they come from? It just kind of seems sudden. They're just walking in and all of a sudden, boom, they're just all happy. But if we look at the other passages, like in John, John says that the crowd was already gathering for the festival because they had heard that Jesus was coming. I'm going to flip there real quick, so I might say some other stuff there. But in verse 12, there are already people gathering for the festival, and he's approaching the main entrance. And so there are already people there. And also in verse 12 of, or chapter 9, 12, verse 9. Yes, that's right. I thought I had it flipped again. I'd be saying verses in all this the, the wrong way today. He says, uh, then a large crowd of Jews learned he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one who had raised from the dead. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. So we see that this large crowd had learned that Jesus was coming. And actually, interesting enough, before then, in chapter 11, verse 55, it says, Now when the Jewish Passover was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover, they were looking for Jesus. They were... They were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? He won't come to the festival, will he? The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it and so that they could arrest him. And that's why I find it really interesting, one, how he came in. But two, people were, were, were seeing here with other verses in John that people were wanting to see him. They're, they've heard about him. They're ready to see him. They want to see Lazarus. And so this anticipation is building. So we have people that are already at the festival. have people behind him who have followed him from Lazarus uh, since Lazarus was resurrected. And then we, we know, um, based on some other verses, that the Pharisees were there as well. And they were probably just very, very grumpy um, that this was all happening. But we see from John's account that from the moment Lazarus was raised, that this began to cause, it was getting very loud. It was... It was a big moment for them. And so um, we see them coming and they want to crown him king. They scream Hosanna, which 
Dr. Spivey read um, at the opening is from Psalm 118. And I'd be getting ahead of myself, but from Psalm 118, which says, Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He was coming in the name. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And so they were screaming this. And if we know, we know some of the other stories, for example, uh, feeding of the 5,000. He feeds them. Uh, he does this great miracle. And they want to crown him king right then. Like, let's make him king right now. And he, and he leaves. He's like, no, 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 that's not my time. So this has been building for a lot of people. Like, they've been wanting to do this for a long time. And, and we see that Jesus says, no, I know when the time is. And I will make the time happen when I want it to. And this is the time. But we see that they throw down their garments in honor of him. Um, an, another uh, reference to this, there's only one, one that I found, which is in 2 Kings 9.13. It's when Jehu was crowned king, they laid their garments down in honor and respect of him. And then we know very well the branches. There were palm branches uh, of there. The Mark uh, account does not say that there were palm branches, but they, uh, John's account, I believe, says that there were palm branches there. And so the branches symbolized victory and triumph. And as they were waving palm branches, it was a very victorious moment. They were triumphing. This is our king. He's come. We're going to be liberated. We're going to be set free from these Romans. And this is also, it's a symbol of worship. They were, they were of, of waving and honoring him. And so they were doing this. And as we see the word Hosanna here that they're shouting means literally save us, we pray. Which would be really cool if they knew what they were actually getting saved from. To be saved from only this worldly, earthly matter that they were dealing with um, versus being saved from literal death and all of that, all that comes with that. But what we see here is that the people were honoring him. They were giving him praise. They had good intentions. They, 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 they meant well, but their, their thoughts were not right. Their uh, attitudes in terms of what he can do for me is not right. But what we see as he enters in is we see this is a story of salvation. Jesus comes not to, to, to do what they wanted. He came humbly. He came lowly. He came um, to save them from something much, much greater than they could ever imagine. And he, they just didn't get that. This is very deep. Um, him walking in is signaling that this is, I am coming in to save you. And as we'll see in a minute, the people did not receive him in that way. But now we get to this, this last passage in Mark, in uh, verse 11. And it ends very uh, interestingly. It says, he went into Jerusalem and into the temple, after looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve, period. So he keeps it very uh, mysterious. And one thing that I can see and kind of look into here is he goes into the temple. He's looking around because he knows what's coming up next. He's about to come in here and get a little angry. It doesn't say that he did anything of the sort, but we can see it's like a prelude to that. But in the Luke account, he actually, it actually goes a little bit further. And 
in, I should really mark my stuff here. So sorry, my friends. But in uh, Luke's account that I'm still trying to find. 19. 19, thank you. I didn't stay in Luke very long, y'all. There was a lot more that I looked at. But in Luke 19, it goes on in verse 41 and 40, uh, 41 to say that he wept for this city. He, he didn't just go to the temple and look around. He, when he went into the temple, he wept for the city. He wept because the people, his people who he was coming in to save did not accept him. And this word wept here, as he approached the city, he wept. It's a like loud, it's like a mourning type of weep. So he was very, very um, moved by this. Because it's just interesting. They don't say what Jesus' face looked like. It didn't say that he was like happy. It didn't say he was sad. The people are happy. The people are rejoicing. But as we can see from this passage in Luke 19, 41, as he approached the city and everyone started to go away, he wept. He, he was very sad for, for, the, for the sake of his people because he's coming in as Messiah, but they didn't know that. And so that's a very interesting um, ending to what would be this big parade. You know, I was telling my dad, it's like going to the to a fireworks show for no fireworks, you know, like, or you go down a parade of people on 4th of July and, but, but there, there's no like people at the end. It's just kind of, it just ends. Um, it's just a really weird ending for, for this big congratulatory um, king that has come to, to save them. And so what can we learn from this story? There's, um, a few things we can learn. And one in the passage I saw that we learned that what Jesus says he will do to the point of I'm going to go get this donkey because it's told I'm going to do it and I'm going to fulfill it. He knows um, like everything he said he's going to do. And that's something we can take away. Um, I just found it really interesting that he would not leave that out. It, it, to us, it wouldn't make sense. Most people walked um, but he knew what he was doing. And then as he comes in, we see he is a humble king, but he did not hold back who he was. So Jesus came lowly in a manger. He came lowly in a donkey. And other kings would have done the opposite. He would have been very, they would have been very loud, very proud, you know, boastful of coming in. But he came in the off, opposite. He was unselfish. But what he wasn't unselfish about in this passage, as we can see, is telling people who he was. I am the Lord. I am Messiah. I am the king who will take you, take away the sins of the world. And I'm unselfish about that. And we'll see that more played out throughout this week as we lead into into the Easter story. And that's ultimately what got him killed was the fact that he was saying he was God and people did not like that. And this is just the start to that week. Um, But he did not hold back who he was. Funny uh, enough, we, we looked, uh, my dad and I found this, or dad found this, I did not find this. In Revelation 7, 9 through 10, we see that we are actually going to worship similarly to what we see in this story. And it says this in uh, Revelation 7, 9 through 10. 
After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and along with the elders and four living creatures, and they fell down. Um, to worship and were worshiping God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength to be, to be our God and Father uh, forever and ever. Amen. So it was very interesting to see that we'll be worshiping at his feet. And what a day that will be when we're at his feet and just worshiping together with the angels, everyone, all of creation. Um, but it's interesting that it notes that there, there will be palm branches in hand here, and we will be worshiping him, giving him the honor, the glory, thanking him for the salvation that he had done as he entered and was crucified. Another thing, last point that we see is, yes, he came in humbly, he came in lowly, but when he comes back, he's not going to be doing that. He's going to come back with an iron fist. He's coming back on a white horse. He is not holding back. He's coming to judge this earth. So, we're living in a time of grace for sure right now. Um, and he gave a lot of grace to those Jews and those people who didn't receive him. Um, he mourns, as we read in that story, he mourns for them. He wants them to know that he is Messiah and he wants them to believe. To this day, it still amazes me. I asked my dad a couple of times every time, like, the Jews, they don't think he's, Jesus is God? Like, it just, it's like crazy to me that still the people don't think that he is God. Um, but... He's giving us this time to, to know who he is, to learn more about him, and so that we can ultimately worship him. But when he comes back, as it says in Revelation 19, it says, I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is not the very peaceable king that we are reading in this. Um, he makes war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head we were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood and his name called the word of God. And armies in heaven clothed in white linen, fine linen, white and clean, followed him on a white horse. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he will strike the nations. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress and the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty. And he has the robe, his robe, and on his thigh name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This, to me, was the first thing, honestly, that I saw as he was entering in on a donkey. Because when he comes back, my friends, he's not going to be coming back like this. It is going to be much louder, bolder unselfish about who he is, and we're going to worship him. And if today you don't know who that is, if you don't know um, this lowly, humble Jesus, we would encourage you to come and talk to one of us. But his grace is given to us to this day. And there will be a day that that grace runs out. Um, but that day is not right now, at least. And so I encourage you to uh, dig into the word um, Know him more. Worship him. And if you don't know him, um, open up your Bible and just read who he is and what he did for his people. Um, and feel free to talk to one of us as well. Let's go to Lord in prayer.
Lord, we just thank you for showing us how much you care for your people. Thank you for being the Messiah and for being humble and lowly. Uh, Lord, you are the only one who can boast about who you are, and yet you didn't when you were on this earth. Um, thank you for showing us an example of what that is, and I pray that we each live that out daily. Help us to be humble and lowly like you, and tell others about you, and to show that you aren't this um, mean king of war who wants to destroy everybody, um, but you love everybody, and you want everyone to know who you are, and you want everyone to be saved. And I pray that we will go into the world and tell other people about you unashamedly. And I just pray that we will um, know more about you every day. Thank you for this text and for showing us um, all of the things that um, you did for your people then and how much you care for your people then and now. In Jesus' name, amen.